Well, our scripture for this morning is Psalm 46. We just heard it before, but let's hear the words again. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Salah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Praise, Praise be, be to, to Christ. Christ. Good morning. My name is Matt Blazer. I'm the pastor here of Covenant Presbyterian Church. And as I continue to study the scriptures and have the incredible honor of preaching them to you each week, the thing that has, the, the, what I've been learning more than at any time in my life except seminary is how interconnected the scriptures are and how comfortable they are um, referencing each other vaguely and specifically referencing each other with what Eugene Peterson calls informational language, uh, aspirational or inspirational language, and then poetry. The Psalms are the most violent book in the scriptures, except perhaps for Revelation, even more so than Judges, which is pretty darn violent and terrible. And I, lo I love this about the Psalms. It's no exaggeration to say that I'm standing here in front of you because of the Psalms. In 1999, I was at the University of Missouri, uh, and I was double majoring in English and religious studies. The religious studies department there was very responsible and good, and, they, um, and I mean that in a generic sense, not because of what I'm about to say. And a visiting uh, Presbyterian minister who was also a professor at Westminster College about 30 minutes from the University of Missouri came and he taught a class in the Psalms and wisdom literature. And he knew that I was, he probably knew I was going into ministry, though I didn't, because I was taking Hebrew and Greek because I wanted to understand the Bible better. And I was so surprised that my Hebrew class at the university was seven of us. Um, and during that class, I changed my mind about what I wanted to do with my life. I thought I wanted to teach uh, English, maybe film, coach basketball. Um, that would be a lot of fun, and I changed my mind. I said, no, if, if this is the degree of depth to which God can be known to us and related to this honestly, I have to spend my full time. 
doing ministry. And then I just tried to figure out what age group. Psalm 46 is a beautiful guide to the with God life. And when I was working on this sermon series last fall, I find it very interesting the way that the sermon series came together in terms of timing, uh, in terms of choice of text. Tracy and Will Downey picked Micah 6-8 in November. I did not know that we were going to name my son Micah. I did not know the events around the country that at least get us thinking about justice. And today... What I wanted to talk about was the Psalms of spring, the Psalms that teach us how to answer God about the new life we see all around us. But instead, what I chose to do is is take a Psalm. If you if you read the Psalms, this is my I encourage people to read the Psalms based upon the day it is of the month. So today's May 16th, so you'd read Psalm 16, and then you add 30 until you have read five Psalms. Better yet, let them pray you. What's even more mature, and I haven't done this in weeks, is to become psalm writers ourselves. But I chose Psalm 46 because there is a lot of disorientation going around us. I mean, this is a 3,000-year-old poem that is easily applicable today. This is a 3,000-year-old poem that didn't even know the name of Jesus, much less how powerful and uh, the kingdom didn't know anything about Jesus, really, but through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, absolutely interconnects with Jesus' words about his own ministry and his return. Absolutely interconnects with Isaiah's picture of both the chaos and the return of Christ and the river especially, Ezekiel's picture and the book of Revelation. I preached on Revelation a few years ago. Um, Those of you that are still confounded by it, listen. Listen. There is a 20-minute video by the Gospel Project that is exquisite. And you're like, I could never learn Revelation in 20 minutes. You could. You could even stop calling it Revelations and call it Revelation. And why am I talking about this? I thought we were supposed to talk about Psalm 46. It's because Psalm 46 has a whole eschatological flair to it. Eschatology is end-time stuff. And listen, I know you don't tune into church to learn words, We must understand some of these words in order to be grasped by the promises of God which give peace to our hearts. I actually believe a key component to you receiving the peace that all of the scriptures talk about is being gripped by and understanding the interconnectedness of the the whole story of scripture. So you can learn new words. But, more to the point with Psalm 46, God is our refuge. I hope that you believe that. I was thinking of the different things that I flee to as refuges. My wife and I try not to over-utilize this reference, but, you know, in the afternoon, when you're already looking forward to the cup of coffee the next morning, is is it just me, or tea, or whatever, Coffee is absolutely a refuge. I have so I'm I'm incredibly blessed with several very close friends. Um, my wife has pointed out to me recently, and she's correct that I'm doubly blessed that they're incredibly intelligent and kind people. Um, they are a refuge to me. 
when I am tired and it is below 65 degrees in my house, there is one sweatshirt I am always looking for because it's soft. When Rachel and I moved to Simsbury, uh, we made a, a good bit of money on our house in St. Louis, and we bought a really, really, really nice bed. And it is absolutely a refuge. And if you're teetering on whether or not to buy a nice bed, please consider how much time you spend in your bed. And unless it's going to put you into debt, you know, we're not having that kind of conversation, but you, please get, get a good pillow. It's amazing. How, anyway. And he, a little bit like my point last week, that we believe these things, but does our calendar reflect them? I believe that you believe that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. But do you act like he's your refuge and strength and very present help in time of trouble? Do you treat him like a refuge, the way that you do the cup of coffee or the sweatshirt? Or your bed. I love to sit down here. I don't know if you know this, um, Hopbrook, the street, used to be on this side of um, the barn. You have to d- totally have your geography to understand where I'm pointing. I don't know if that's helpful. Hopbrook is now on the other side of the brook all the time, but it didn't used to be that way. It used to start on our side of the brook, and this is an old bridge that uh, is still, apparently, you're allowed to walk on it, though that scares me because giant chunks of it have fallen into the brook. It's a very peaceful place. More so in the winter when it's less ticky. I love sitting down there. It automatically calms me down a little bit. How much more, then, does being still and knowing, there's there's an emphasis on no at the end of Psalm 46, that's, that's pushy in a good way, like be still and know. Actively remember. Actively remind myself of who God is and who he says that I am and what that means for my life. God is our refuge, though the nations rage. This 3,000-year-old poem written by a not fully known to us group of musicians and poets still applies. Right? Did you watch the news? The nations continue to rage. And one of the things as I, I think, become a little more adept at ingesting news, listening, and mostly reading and listening, not much watching, I realize that one of the most tragic things about the wars are how one war distracts us from how very many wars are going on all over the world. A lot of good stuff happening in Africa, a lot of horrific stuff happening in Africa that usually gets overshadowed this week by the horrific events in, in Israel. And I read, a, I read a study that I shouldn't reference because I didn't double-check it. But during the pandemic, actively religious people are experiencing less anxiety than the rest of the world. And the reason I tell you that, it's not because we're not experiencing pandemic anxiety. We are. It's not because we're not experiencing both collective grief of the pandemic and the specific griefs of our own life, but it's because of Psalm 46 and our application of it. Even if you treat God as a refuge once or twice a week instead of all seven, 
you're still receiving the comfort and peace of the Holy Spirit. And I wish I had the article referenced. Maybe I'll find it this week and put it on Facebook. Maybe. Maybe. The violence in the Psalms is matched best, I think, by the book of Revelation in the New Testament. And this is an interesting passage. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So the earth is literally tottering, according to this. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, God's city. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So things rage around Jerusalem, but she will not be moved. And now we have some work to do to understand the scriptures. Because if you know your history, biblical and historical, she was moved. In 586 B.C., Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. And if you follow this in the Psalms, what you'll see is uh, anger, an incredible disorientation, and even curses. And the curses aren't magic. We're not uh, sorcerers and witches utilizing God. Curses are how we are honest with him about what we see and how we experience life. And we trust him to take those seriously. That's part of prayer. It's a loose quote of Walter Brueggemann, the scholar that I predominantly studied in 1999, changed my mind to get into ministry. But spiritually, and especially eschatologically, as in when Christ returns, and the eschatological promises that we have in this time, hang with me, one of the most important themes, especially of the New Testament, really of the Old Testament too, but it's a little bit veiled, is the already not yet. So we have his promises already. If you're a follower of Christ, you're in union with him, and that can never be taken away from you. But he has not returned, so we will continue to experience all of the effects of sin, the harm it does to our community, the self-harm, disease, death, sickness. But we have these truths. Ultimately, she will not be moved and this is why I'm so, I, I think the psalmist is so brilliant to move from a general reference of God to a very, very, very specific reference of God. Did you see that? Moves from calling God God to calling God Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Hosts not like at a restaurant. Hosts like angel armies. Angels are not little cherubs. The word cherub means sphinx in certain utilizations of Hebrew. The word seraph means cobra. The God of angel armies is the one that secures this promise. The Lord of hosts, this is verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is where the Psalms are incredible. And as I preach the sermon, I'm like, is this going to be a 19-minute sermon because I'm so familiar with the text and it's so beautiful and it's straightforwardness? Or is it going to be a 90-minute sermon because there are so many links all around the Bible to what the sons of Korah have written to us, guided by the Holy Spirit in Psalm 46. The overlap of poetry and violence and eschatology, which is a it, part of the... Re, part of, <laughs> 
part of the way that that gives peace to our hearts is that's what we see around the world. So what do we do about it? There's a lot to do for Christians. But it is not less than pray. When you are moved to pray for the nations, Psalm 46 is a guide to you. And it reminds you of the true church. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, which gives us the hope of the promises of Psalm 46 because the true vine is now Jesus. And therefore, all those who are engrafted into him through his pursuing love will not be moved. These promises remain. They are yours and mine because of Jesus. That doesn't mean we don't have the opportunity to sit and remember them, to be still and know them. I think I mentioned this last week. I did. When I sit down to pray the Psalms, my old habit was to go, you know, the day that it is, and then plus 30, plus 30, plus 30, plus 30. Now, it's the day that it is, and stop. And part of the reason is Psalm 4610. There it is. Command. Be still and know that I am God. What does that mean? That means he's a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. That means he's with us, verse 7 and verse 11. And we know so much more of how beautifully with us he is than the writer or writers of this psalm because of Jesus who was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's Christ securing us in love, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, comforting and assuring us of his love for us. And you're like, I don't feel the comfort and assurance of his love. You have it. That's a truth that you talk to yourself about and are still with respect to. Follow me? It's how we apply Psalm 46, to our lives, friends. God is our refuge, though the nations rage, but his promises remain. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The poetic language, because God isn't a fort or a castle, but he is as a metaphor. He protects us. You're like, he hasn't protected me from this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Yes, that's true. He has allowed you to go through those things both to mature you and, among other things, to remind you that he has not yet returned. And yet when we are given his perspective after he returns and we either enjoy that because we're here or return with him from heaven, then we will be given recompense which will include knowing why he allowed what he allowed and knowing how he protected us as a fortress. But in between, we get to wait. And waiting is a profound Christian activity. Sounds cool and sexy, doesn't it? I love waiting. It's the greatest. No one likes waiting. Unless it's on a very, very good thing that we're going to get pretty soon, right? But if the curse is as profound as the scriptures say that it is, 
and we have all of these promises both now and later, then waiting is a profound Christian activity that speaks peace to our heart. Do you know why you can't always remember what day it is? It's because of the pandemic. The collective grief and disorientation caused by this pandemic is part of the reason, and maybe you had a little bit of trouble before. Fine, I did. But it's worse, right? Maybe not all of you. I was in the store the other day, and a woman said to either no one or just herself or all of us, I don't really know, because she was looking down at her mask on. She said, I can't remember what day it is. And, you know, I said, there's a lot of that going around. Psalm 46 describes it, doesn't it? We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Skipping to verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease. So that's the eschatological hope. That's the end times hope that we're waiting to see. But the disorientation of Psalm 46, we share in some measure, because of all the things, but specifically the thing we have in common, is the pandemic. That's why you have trouble remembering what day it is. And that's why you need poetic language to answer God about what it's like to be you in this world, especially in light of who he is and who he says that you are. That's a loose quote of one of my favorite books on the Psalms called Answering God by Eugene Peterson. I didn't love the second half. I almost underlined every sentence in the first half, including a new one this morning. I've typed my notes out. Every time I start reading this book, I think I should just read quotes of this book instead of preaching on the Psalms. But I know that doesn't work rhetorically, so I don't do it. If you would like to be encouraged about your need for God's presence, and and especially through prayer, um, answering God is pretty darn good. And I have a copy of it if you want to borrow it. Or take it. I'll just buy another copy. You can deal with all my underlines and scribbles on the side and all that. We need informational language to understand things. Christianly speaking, the atonement. We need to understand what it means that Jesus atones for us. Paul's language, for the most part, in Romans, is informational. And that's good. When Jesus uh, preached the Sermon on the Mount, he was using inspirational language to describe the beautiful attitudes of the with-God life. We also need poetic language, and it is not any less true. I'm using Eugene Peterson's language here, but C.S. Lewis explains this really well. Scientific, mundane, and artistic or poetic language. We need all of them, and none of them are more true than the other. They deal with truth differently, but we need all of them. One of the ways that I heard someone utilize the theme of Psalm 46 was uh, in 2020, the invitation to our um, General Assembly. You know, Presbyterians have regional and national government, and this is the lead pastor of Hope Church in Memphis, which is huge. It looks like a mall. And his invitation to all of us was in a video. His name's Rufus Smith, and he said, If the Lord continues to delay his return, we are excited to welcome you to Hope Church. And I just thought that was beautiful. And frankly, about a third of my prayers when I'm praying on behalf of the church or you or sickness or whatever, 
I've been quoting him for years, and I feel like I should give him some credit. Although people say you only have to credit like a couple of times, and then it becomes yours because you've tweaked the language. I don't always feel comfortable with that. But verses 6 and 8 and 9, there's an eschatological hope to it that has not yet been realized. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. Poetic language. The earth is not going to melt, ever. But the tottering stops at one word from the sovereign Lord of hosts. That's how powerful he is. All the roaring and chaotic rocking of the earth, metaphor, ceases at his voice. God is our refuge, though the nations rage, but his promises remain, and we lean on them as we wait. Friends, what happens when you're still and then know that he is God? Is it good? For some of you, that's an, this is an old hat to be still and know, and you receive such comfort and assurance of love I hope that encourages you. That's the Holy Spirit in you encouraging you. For others of us, it's more challenging. We must actively receive this command, because it is a command, be still and know that I am God. What happens when you're still? I hope it's lovely. All sorts of ways I could coach you if I know how hard it is or how easy it is. All sorts of ways you could coach me as we get to know one another better. But don't miss the command, because in it is life and peace and truth and the Holy Spirit that's already in there, but you get a stronger sense, an interconnected sense, throughout your full self, throughout your motivations, throughout your emotions, throughout your head and your gut, and this is why I think, this is why, one of, one of the reasons that I'm so excited to preach this to you is, this is what we do to prepare to be his agents of peace and reconciliation and justice. A uh, non-Christian person asked me recently if I think that the church and Christians have done more good or harm in the world. And she was asking. She was not, she didn't, it was not a leading question. It was an unfair question. And I said, I don't know. I'm not the Lord. I do know that when we're still and know that he is God, we're going to see more clearly the opportunities in our lives to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. We're going to see the opportunities for reconciliation in our family and place of business. We're going to be able to forgive more quickly and easily. It's one of the most profound things that Christians get to do. Our culture has less and less and less understanding of it, and we continue to do it. And the reason, or the, the way that we can, is because Jesus purchased these things for us. Jesus purchased peace for our hearts, Philippians 4. Jesus is the embodiment of justice and has called us into justice work, Matthew 25. Jesus has taught us explicitly what relationships need. Trust, 
truth-telling, removal of lust, and the reception of true love. Forgiveness. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. All of those things are, are more uh, easily applicable when we are still and know that he is God. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we praise and thank you that you are our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We experience fear, Lord, therefore we will not fear. We will respond to your loving kindness by continuing to pray and to step where you guide us to step and do what you call us to do. We praise and thank you for these promises, both the ones that we receive now and the ones that we will receive when you return. And Lord, if you are going to continue to delay your return, would you bless us with a felt sense of your Holy Spirit? Amen.